How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Searching for a parenting podcast you'll actually want to listen to? One that covers everything from how to deal with picky eating, how to grieve a pregnancy loss, and how to not hate your partner after having kids? Well, your new favorite podcast, After Bedtime with Big Little Feelings, is here. Hosted by two BFFs, this is a no-shame parenting podcast. Listen to and follow After Bedtime with Big Little Feelings on the free Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. Now, at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Thank you, Scott, and hello to you. How are you? And what is going on in your plant world? If you'd like to talk about it, you can simply call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Leading off every Saturday morning will be the Good Gardening Stroll, and that will be after just a sort of introduction. Afterwards, we'll discuss what's impacting your trees, your perennials, that hillside, shrubs, lawn, ground cover, and anything planted in the outdoors. Or else we can step inside your house and take a look at your tropical world. From routine care and maintenance, pet impact, and specifically talking maybe about potting mixes or improving your soils or pruning, insect troublemakers, suspicious growth or spots, transplanting, taking cuttings, and beyond. I'll share my knowledge to help you make good decisions on what action is needed or should be considered. Remember, this is your show, and I certainly appreciate you having me in your plant world. Another very important player is James. He's producing today. He answers the phone and pushes all the buttons. So when you call, James just needs your first name, and that's pretty much it. By the way, I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. And besides, on Saturday morning, we can get together at your home, and I can take a look at your plant world with an on-site consultation, which I call a walk-and-talk. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, and on the home page, there will be my email address, which is mmillerdesigns22 at gmail.com, or my phone number's there as well. Well, let's get strolling. This walk is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Stepping out the back door, ooh, starry, starry, early morning. Ah, the moon, well, it's past full now, but uh, it still looks pretty good. The stars I'm talking about on this starry, starry morning were not in the sky, but on the lawn, the cars, the tree leaves, the tree branches, all kinds of other things as well. It was, The frost was unbelievable, and it was so sparkling, it was absolutely fantastic. And today I decided to take a trip down... Uh, Yes, to Wilmore Park. 
for a chilly walk. Wilmore Park was established in 1947, actually two years before I was even born. So it's been there for quite a while. And it runs along Hampton and River de Pere. There's a fence that separates the two. And, uh, boy, this park is just it runs and runs and keeps going and keeps going. And uh, on the east end, you're greeted by tennis courts. And then first of numerous pavilions, a mixture along the parkway of numerous trees from conifers and deciduous, some older and mature, others uh, like teenagers. Lots of wide open lawn areas, ball fields. There's an equipment building and there's North Lake, which is a public fishing area. And that's St. Louis Parks working with the Missouri Conservation Department this is where the roadway ends, and the park keeps going way beyond that and with walkways and headed towards the playground. This park is unbelievable as far as the options there is. Lots of benches and just re- recreation-type circumstances, but uh, it's near where Tracy and I live, and when we drive by it, it's really not used as much as you would think it would be. But uh, I guess it's location or whatever it is, or maybe it's just when we're driving by, uh, it's not the time when a lot of people are there. The playground is uh, really unique. There's a fountain near it. And uh, as I said before, the the North Lake, you can do some public fishing if you like. So if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314 why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of Congestion. Leading Ladies, a concert in celebration of Women's History Month featuring Kelsey Ballerini, Megan Trainer, L. King, Christina Perry. At the King's Theater in Brooklyn, New York on Wednesday, March 20th. Tickets are on sale now. You don't want to miss this amazing night of music dedicated to uplifting women's voices. With Kelsey Ballerini, Megan Trainer, L. King, and Christina Perry. Odyssey's Leading Ladies presented by Olay Body. Buy your tickets now at kingstheater.com. 36-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. you got questions or concerns. And uh, right now, take a look out. If you have a cool season lawn, it's probably looking pretty good. Hopefully you took care of it in, through the fall. And uh, with the coeration and, mow, and mowing and uh, fertilizing and things like that. But the, cold, the cool season ones needed that. The warm season ones, you better not have fertilized it because it could have forced it into, even though we didn't have super cold, we had some cold weather a couple weeks ago, and that could really cause some real problems with it. So just please understand that. And uh, what you should do, too, My, I have uh, zoysia lawn. My zoysia lawn in the front, I probably should have cut it one more time 
in the fall rather than, and I didn't do that. So it's getting a little bit kind of uh, icky looking. So I might take my mower out today and uh, go ahead and do the mowing of that. And also watch out for the leaf debris on any kind of lawn because it could really cause some problems with various types of fungus like fusarium patch, which is like a pink snow mold. And uh, there's... Uh, there's multiple other ones as well, so just watch out for letting stuff pile up. We live across the street from uh, Christie Park, and the prevailing winds blow the leaves from the park into our yard. So I'm constantly raking them and trying to keep it down to a minimum. Let's head right now over to Rebecca's yard. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, and your show is the highlight of the week. Um, <laughs> it's so true. I have a question about boxwood. So I have a hedge of boxwood, and I don't know if it was the really cold weather, but the leaves are falling off, like, not all of them, but many of them. If I just touch the boxwood, the leaves just fall off onto the ground. But there's a lot of new budding growth at the tip, so I'm hoping it's not dead, but... Is it because of the cold weather? Well, I've it's, never seen it lose the leaves like that. Yeah, it's, you know, every year is going to be a little bit different because of our screwy weather. But as long as the tips are still green, the interior foliage, I don't know how old your hedge is, but uh, the interior foliage will finally drop off entirely. There won't be enough sun, you know, striking on the inside. So you, you're going to have a situation where probably maybe the last six or eight inches of each twig will have foliage on it, but the interior part of the boxwood will be pretty much naked. So why they didn't drop previously, historically they just kind of do it on a routine basis, and why there's such a dramatic amount this year is just weather-related exposure and all that type thing. All right. Well, thank you. It's 10 years, about 10 years old, okay. and this, the leaves that are falling off now are on the exterior of it. Um, they're just, if Ooh. I just walk past the hedge, uh, you can tell the color of the leaves is just like a silvery green, not the normal color that they are. So it just looked like like they were burnt or something, but they're not. Right. So I, I didn't know. So I just thought it's the weather, but I thought I'd better ask. So oh. Right. And uh, so don't do anything right now. And, uh, if the you know if the tips of the branch twigs and branches and stuff if they've lost their leaves that's not a good sign so even even though they have the new bud right at the tip of the branch all the branches have new t- tips like they're ready to bloom but right the leaves are just something happened oh. okay <laughs> well thank you yeah there's been some wind chills that have been a little bit ferocious for sure right well thank you so much sure my pleasure yeah, the broadleaf evergreens also realize that uh, they need to have an acidic soil. And so, you know, using iron sulfate will help acidify your soil. And if you do any fertilizing, you're not going to fertilize until the new growth begins in the springtime. And make sure that it's a fertilizer specifically for acid-loving plants because that will have some of the minor micronutrients as well as the essential macronutrients. And uh, just keep that in mind because that's really important. As I said before, uh, the garden centers are not quite up and going yet, but they're going to be up and going really soon. 
and uh, probably another maybe month or so, then you're going to start to see some of the cool season annuals showing up and cool season vegetables as well. So that, like I was talking about, my you know my uh, pansies are still really, you know, I was just really surprised that they survived as well as they did. With your house plants, you definitely want to you know watch out for them. You want to make sure that they don't get too dry, but you don't want to overwater them because overwatering can keep uh, uh, the root system not doing so well. It could cause some rotting circumstances with it. And fertilizing this time of year with your house plants, you can fertilize, but uh, just do so at one half the label rate and kind of wait. Uh, you could do it a little bit right now. It wouldn't hurt, but uh, don't over-fertilize because generally what the fertilizing means you're using water and to sort of mix the fertilizer up and then you pour it onto the potting mix. But that means you're adding some more water to the situation. So just watch out about that. And uh, humidity is really important for the house plants for the most part. Not all of them, of course, but... Uh, the majority of them. So having a saucer underneath your pot with a little bit of moisture in it, uh, meaning water, uh, will help the, keep the humidity a little bit higher. And just watch out for your you watch out for various types of insects on your uh, your house plants. Things like even which are not really impacting adversely, not that bad at least, like fungus gnats. You'll see them kind of flying around just around one you know plant. And where they're living is the eggs and everything are laid into the potting mix. So, and to get rid of that, you can get some horticultural vinegar and follow the label rate and just pour it around the, on the soil. Or you can use other types of, you know, insecticides too, which will kill these, uh, the adults. And you can... Get a variety. Talk to your favorite garden center about uh, which one might help control the eggs that haven't hatched yet. There's not too many that will, but there are some. And the products you use, just uh, keep keep in mind to follow the label. If you don't, then you're going to have some real trouble just in general. My, my garage is uh, full of large pots, which I grow lots of different kinds of uh, summer type bulbs and uh, I've got to get some of them cleaned up and that's one of the things maybe after I do the, the lawn mowing today I'm going to start clearing out some of my pots and uh, separating and pulling my bulbs out of the potting mix historically I always did that in the fall and then took the bulbs inside and put them in the basement in paper bags but I wanted to try something a little bit different this year and uh, see it's just leaving them in the pot and then pulling them out later on, like now, and then kind of cleaning them up, take a look at them, see if there's any kind of damage, any this rotting spots or anything like that, and then uh, discard the ones that are not in good shape and then keep the ones that are in good shape. And uh, that's one of the other things that I have that need to be done. need to start watching, too, your spring flowering you know, plant materials like... Uh, your dogwoods, it's a little bit early for the dogwoods, but witch hazel, that's going to be one of the first things that starts blooming, and uh, it's just nice to see. And when something starts blooming, that's a time when you can go out and you can do something called deep root feeding. Deep root feeding is where you take an electric drill out with a 
large drill bit on it, and you auger some holes in the ground around the tree, around the shrub or the tree or whatever it happens to be, and you backfill those with compost. And what you're doing with the compost is you're feeding the soil. You're not directly feeding the individual shrub or tree or whatever it happens to be. And that's kind of the, a better way to do it. I've not really ever been into fertilizing trees per se, and I have fertilized some plant materials shrub-wise because uh, it, it really helps them, like the lady with the boxwood, the azaleas, and even some of the deciduous shrubs do a little bit better when they are fertilized. With the larger trees, I don't do that at all. And one thing about the, we love the spring flowering, which is great, but it is really kind of tough on the plant material because it's uh, any kind of flowering is just exhausting for the plant. And that's, you know, one of the things that you got to be, you know, realize that, uh, during those periods of time, you you should be uh, concerned about uh, your plant material and just realize that just like us, when you're doing something that's really stressful, whether you're running or walking or bicycling or anything else, it can be exhausting, and that's kind of a, a similar thing to the plant material. And as I was talking about the lawns, the most expensive really landscape is in your landscape is really going to be if you have a lawn circumstance. So just keep an eye out for those things that are really, you know, detrimental to it. Weed wise, the weed that I'm getting most in my yard right now is chickweed. And that's again, one of the cool season annual weeds. And it actually started to uh, germinate uh, last August. And it's, they've been growing along with, henbit and annual bluegrass and prickly lettuce and Persian speedwell, lots of them. But uh, the one that I have, I used to have quite a bit of the Persian speedwell, which is a very low-growing annual weed that has kind of flowers that are about half the size of a pencil eraser, and they're blue. And uh, I pretty much have gotten rid of that. I really go after stuff uh, with uh, not a whole lot of herbicides, and not a whole lot of pre-emergence. And the reason why I don't do those, even though I recommend them, is I want to see what's you know coming up, so I can kind of keep and you know keep a mind or an eye on uh, letting you know what I'm seeing in my yard. And then when I take my you know walks every day, that uh, I watch or I look in people's yards or even in the space in between the sidewalk and the streets, and see what kind of weed circumstance there actually is. And to control those, you know, cool season weeds, you know, annual type, that was when you would have put a pre-emergent down last, guess what, August. So a while ago, that's when the seeds start germinating. Now coming up is the warm season annual weeds, and we're going to be putting a pre-emergent down. If you'd like to use a pre-emergent to control the seeds as they germinate, just watch out for uh, the yellow forsythia. When it's blooming, that's when you'd be putting the pre-emergent down. That's when the ground temperatures are, oh, uh, let's say 55 to 60 degrees several days in a row. That's what triggers the flowering on the forsythia, and that also is what triggers the uh, germination of the warm season annual weeds. And that includes spurge, ragweed, purslane, knotweed, lamb's quarter, 
lots of different kinds like uh, crabgrass, barnyard grass. Now, I do have quite a, you know, some clumps of, you know, crabgrass. Goosegrass, that's one of the other things that uh, really is, uh, I've really never had the goosegrass, but uh, I'm always curious to actually, I do see it in people's yards. So that was another one of those annual weeds that uh, you can control passively by putting a pre-emergent down. And again, pre-emergent goes down when the yellow forsythia is in bloom. So it's going to be still a couple weeks before that happens. And what you can do, rather than waiting for something to bloom, you can go to your favorite garden center and get a soil thermometer. And when you start to see the soil thermometers, uh, the soil temperature, you know, 55 to 60 degrees several days in a row, that's when the pre-emergent can go down because that's a, sort of the temperature that uh, triggers the the warm season annual weeds uh, germinating. So, Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Over. Yes, folks, phone lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. This is a perfect time of year to be feeding the birds. Hopefully you're doing that as you know that I feed the birds by uh, spreading the bird seed out on the uh, sidewalk. And I'll tell you, yesterday, man, oh, man, there was probably, I would say, 50 sparrows. There was about four or five or six cardinals, male and female both. There were some starlings and then some uh, doves as well. So it was really kind of fun to stand inside and look out the window and watch the birds, I find that it's really kind of a, just it's kind of neat to do. So I'm almost out of bird seed, so I'm going to have to get some bird seed on my way home today. And then the birds just kind of wait until I obviously throw that out. And uh, so let's head over to Linda's yard now. Hi, Linda. Hi, Mike. Hi. Um, I have a question about a Christmas cactus. I used to have a lot more success growing them, but I don't I don't anymore. I have a very small one, and it's just like on, it's one-sided. It's on one side of the pot. So I saw some uh, that were on sale yesterday, I guess, clearing, clearing them out. And they really look very healthy, and they're not very big. So the little one I have, he has a couple of buds on it. It did bloom like just one bud. It's really pretty puny. So should I wait? If I buy one of those, I wanted to combine them in one pot. So should I wait until after these buds are done to do that, to, you know, to transplant my little one out of the pot it's in into a bigger pot with the other one? Yeah, definitely. It'll look, it'll look better. Yeah, this from an aesthetic standpoint and also just, you know, just with the days still being pretty short, even though you've got them inside and probably in a sunny window and everything else, you just don't want to disrupt the root system because uh, it's your know, recovery time may not be uh, you know to the advantage of the plant material. Let's put it that way. So okay. and make sure that you don't get a very large pot. You might pull the new one that you're buying if it's in, let's say, a four inch pot or so. Just pull that out and then try to work the the small one that you have into the potting mix with the exist with the new one that you're purchasing as opposed to buying a bigger pot with uh and then you know using you know ca- potting mix for cactus 
I would say use what there there is in with the existing one that you're the new plant that you're going to buy. Yeah, I think they're both in that kind of a mix. I think yeah, they're both in a four inch pot. Okay, I believe it's a it is a fairly small one. So yeah, I just want to try to. I don't want to take like any of the dirt off mine or off that other one. Just kind of spit them both. That I don't know if I could really do that. Well, you can you can take some of the soil off of it. Just pull the the small one that you have. Just pull it off and just kind of I don't want to say violently shake it, but you know just kind of use your fingers and work some of the potting yeah, you know potting yeah. mix away, and then do that with the new one that you're buying, and that should be you know give you adequate space to put the the existing one in with that. Both into the four inch pot. Right. Okay, and do do they like do they like plastic pots the best? Do you think? Well, I don't think it really matters that much with them. So, okay, because with a plastic pot, I mean, as opposed to a terracotta pot, uh, a lot of times the nurseries anymore are just doing the plastic pots because they're lighter and they're sort of easier to transport. But uh, that really doesn't make that much difference with because these are. They're cactus technically, and that's just because of the the flower structure, the number of stamens, and all this other stuff. But it doesn't really have anything to do with where they're from because they're really from a tropical part of the world. Right. So, okay. and I had called I had called you about you know the lantanas I was bringing in and putting down under the grow light, and I have success with fifty percent of them. One is actually putting buds on, which I can't believe that. <laughs> And the other four look like I don't know. I'm I'm going to stick with them for a while because, you know, one of them didn't look too good, and there's uh, growth coming out from the roots. You know, it's putting on green leaves, but right. the one is getting ready to bloom. I think that's kind of miraculous. Yeah, anyway, I completely agree. It's just, it's just kind of fun. Even a full you know full spectrum of grow lights and things like that. It's still you know, kind of an odd world for them to be blooming on the, you know, inside. And the other mm-hmm. ones that don't look well, if you're going to ultimately move those back outside, any of the growth that doesn't look good, cut that off and see uh, see if the plant can recover. Okay. And yeah, when all chance of frost is over. Right. Exactly. So yep. you're probably, you know, who knows when, you know, date-wise it's hard to do that. But, uh, you know, sure. I mean, even if... Even if it does frost, if you have them up close, you know, close to your house, then that will offer some protection from, you know, let's say you, you think, well, this should be a safe day to put it out. And you do put it out, and then we get one of those freaky, let's say, late spring-type, uh, you know, cold spells. Uh, the plant material can probably survive in that situation. Yeah, I think last year in April we had one of the latest frost dates ever that I can remember. It right. was past the 15th, so... Yeah, it's just all kind of a fun experiment, I think. <laughs> I agree. I mean, having success with anything is it's not easy easy to grow something even outside as well as, you know, some of the tropical stuff that you're speaking of with the lantana or the Christmas cactus or anything else. It is a you know, it's a tough world. And I have my best success with the Christmas cactus of putting it well, I have a screen porch. So I put that out there until pretty probably about well, depending on the weather, um, Halloween, and then bring it in, give it a little, a really mild fertilizer. Right. Really. And then, you know, I've had really success with that in the past of them budding out. But 
We'll see. I really want to add to this one because it's just, like I say, really small. (laughs) I don't know what happened to it. I tried to start, you know, one of the the root things on the other side, putting it down in the soil. It didn't work. I've had success with it in the past, too. But anyway, thank you for your help. Oh, sure. My pleasure. Have a great rest of your weekend. Yeah, you did the same thing. Yeah, I mean... you I know. agree with that one lady. It's kind of a highlight. It's definitely the highlight of a Saturday. <laughs> Maybe the whole week. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thanks. I greatly appreciate it. Yeah, right. so with, I mean, having success outside or inside with our screwy weather, and even if it's in a controlled environment like within the house, you know, success one year doesn't necessarily guarantee that there's going to be success, you know, in the you know, in the following year. Another thing is you're looking outside as, uh, as I, you know, like take my walks as I talk about. A couple of people have, uh, you know, large dogs or small dogs, and they don't have any kind of, uh, you know, lawn that can handle the dogs running along the fence. And so that's the soil compaction, and there's really nothing you can possibly do. What you might do is just kind of give up on trying to grow grass in those situations and because even if you, let's say, divide off where you're not having any kind of, let's say, lawn growth due to the dog compaction and keep the dogs out of there for a while, have sod brought in or seed and germinated, then when you finally take the barriers back down, the dogs are going to be running along the fence again, and then consequently you're going to be right back to where you are now. So. That's just one of those, you know, those type things. Uh, one of our neighbors has uh, an Akita, a Japanese dog, pretty good size and everything else. And I know that that when I walk past the house on the sidewalk, I see that dog running along the fence and barking at, you know, anybody that goes by. But uh, lots of different stuff going on in the outdoors, and it's very fun to play with all this different stuff, whether it's your dogs, your pets, birds, or anything else. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after the news. This is a time of year when you're going to start maybe thinking about uh, measuring your bed space so you can put some new mulch down. You don't have to put the mulch, but the mulch, there is a true benefit to the mulch. It's decorative, and it's a protective layer, and uh, basically what it does is help your soil conserve moisture. So that's really kind of important. It does inhibit some weed growth as well. And uh, it can be, you know, some of the damage to plant material, which is caused by even wind chills. You know, sometimes when they say, well, the temperature is only 30 degrees right now. But when you get, you know, you have the wind chill factor included in that, then you find out that it's really like in the low 20s. And that could be damaging you know, to the root systems of the plant material as well as the above-ground growth. So always just keep that in mind. And certainly uh, the mulch does help that. Just watch out. Don't put too much mulch down around herbaceous-type things, perennials, whether they're perennials, ground covers, that thing. Uh, Herbaceous-type, meaning they die, go below ground during the wintertime, or evergreen types like helleborus. they, you know, they all can really use mulch, but only keep it like at a two to three inches at the most. And if you've got the existing mulch there, don't add another two or three inches on top of that. So just make sure that it doesn't get that much deeper because it can be detrimental to the plant material 
even though it is offering some protection, it can be overly protective and cause trouble. Round trees can go up to like four to six inches of the mulch depth-wise. And just uh, you know, don't do more than that. It's not going to be to the advantage of the plant material. And one of the things of you know improving your soil because a lot of us have clay soils, and uh, that's what all these bricks and the brick buildings are all about. Uh, by adding compost, it improves the soil structure. It makes uh, density is right. You know, helps with the density and just a better system or better circumstance for the plant roots to kind of move out and absorb the nutrients and moisture that are really very much essential. And so just be sure that if you're going to do that uh, with the compost, that you get true good compost that has been certified, then been tested, so you don't have any kind of problems with it. Because I've bought or I've gotten some different type stuff because I do fool around with buying things just to te- you know check out the product and things like that where I've had some shotgun you know fungus that has really I've spread this was not the compost but this was with the mulch and it's through black specks up on uh, the side of our house and so there's all kinds of different things that are you just don't actually expect to happen but it certainly can happen what you need to do too is just realize that you know topsoil quality is really very important. So the specifications require topsoil to be have organic matter in it, have some clay, yes, and have a pH as uh, measured so you know what you're putting down into the ground. Because if you're growing plants like let's say lilacs or you're growing plants like uh, clematis, you got what well, you want to have a slightly alkaline soil. So in other words, you want to have the pH above 7. 7 is neutral. Below 7 is acidic. And you, getting a soil test done, as I continue to talk about over and over and over again, like with your lawn, when lawn services would say, well, you should put lime down without... If they haven't had a soil test or you haven't had a soil test that you show them that you know what the results of the soil test was, if it's a situation where the soil is already, let's say, a little bit alkaline, that's not good because lawn really needs a soil that's slightly acidic. So between like about 6.5 is ideal soil pH for lawns, whether it's a cool season lawn or a warm season lawn, either one. And that's real, really, really important just for the overall health of the, you know, the lawn just kind of in general. And uh, so just keep that in mind. And when you're, if you're planning on doing some plant installation, you can certainly get out there and uh, cite the plant material where you want to plant it. And just make sure that you're thinking about not the existing size of the plant that you may be buying, but the mature size. So often plants are, you know, installed too close to houses, too close to walkways, too close to this, too close to that, as far as how much the plant's actually going to grow and how big it's going to get. It's going to get too, you know, too large for that situation. Then it just kind of adds to the work level and it's going to be a couple, maybe a couple years before it's going to be trouble.
But still, why not just think ahead of time? And that's going to be to the you know to your advantage and the plant materials advantage. That way, you don't have to uh, do a lot of pruning and things along that line. Uh, again, back to the pre-emergence just a little bit because uh, forsythia is going to be coming up uh, in bloom soon. So what you can do is uh, the pre-emergence, you can put it down and just find out what the square footage is of your lawn area if you're going to use it on a, you know, as a pre-emergent in your lawn. That way you'll know how much of the pre-emergent that you're going to want to buy. You don't want to buy too much, just like with uh, the fertilizing and everything else. Chemical-wise, we're kind of we're we're sort of messing with Mother Nature, but we're also trying to grow things that Mother Nature wouldn't necessarily have in this you know in this region. So, getting the right amount at the right time is very very important. If you don't do that, then it's going to be uh, uh, trouble for the plants that you're trying to help. You could actually be doing you know more trouble for them. Uh, plant material wise, I've got. Uh, Several containers of uh, with evergreens growing in them, conifers, some junipers, and some Alberta spruce. And uh, through the winter time, I, there's been there was like twice that I thought, well, it's been kind of dry, so I just went out and took a bucket of water out and uh, did some watering with them. And as soon as the weather warms up a little bit more, I'm going to do some fertilizing on those evergreens with an acid-based fertilizer, and it's. Uh, just, you know, that is really, really important. So fertilizing your spring-blooming woodies, whether they're trees or shrubs, you should wait until the flowering is finished and then fertilize it at that time. If you want to do the fertilizing, you've already heard, talk, heard me talk about how I like to do just kind of a deep root feeding and feed the soil as opposed to fertilizing. But, so, you know, many people do fertilizing, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that... You know, I take a certainly a different approach and start watching out, too, as the weather, you know, warms up. I actually, which kind of surprised me, slugs and snails, as they creep across, let's say, sidewalks or areas, you can see kind of their slimy trails, and they're really shiny, but they're, I mean, they were originally slimy. But uh, to see that, you know, this time of year really kind of caught me by surprise, and uh, so... I start watching out and looking on the underside of the plant material, foliage and things like that for the slugs and snails. And uh, it's a good time if you've got all kinds of shoots, let's say, coming off your trees, whether they're crab apples, magnolias, or anything else. And uh, the shoots, you know, like the young growth, you can go ahead and do that pruning right now. There's nothing wrong with that. So you can kind of shape up your plant material. And... Uh, that's with woodies as well as uh, trees. And but the thing is, if you're going to do any kind of pruning at all, whether it's removing these little twigs, this sort of radical growth, don't leave like a two-inch st stem. Or if you're cutting off branches of anything, don't leave stubs. Cut them back where you're going to make the cut about a quarter to a half inch uh, from the whatever you're cutting it from. So whether that's a trunk or the next larger branch it's attached to. And um, there's a watch out for, you know, I don't, street trees, you know, are experiencing lots of, you know, potential damage. If they're relatively small, some street trees, uh, 
you know, don't just they grow at a regular you know rate and they're relatively small, but uh, larger trucks going up and down the street or street sweepers or things like that can do some damage to the branches and to have, you know, have some cracks to the branches, even if it doesn't break them off entirely, can lead to problems as the weather starts warming up as far as rainwater or, you know, they were talking, I think Scott was saying, you know, we've got a potential with rain coming up or snow coming up, even if it's going to be wet, and there's cracks in the trunks or in the, some of the branches, the moisture from that can get in there and cause some heartwood rot. So just keep that in mind. Mike Miller, we do have phone lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. Now at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Thank you, Scott. And wow, when I look out the window right now, the clouds aren't here yet. It's nice to see some nice sun. And this is the second hour of the Garden Hotline, the tip of the trowel hour. And I'll be giving the tip of the trowel shortly. But right now, if you have questions, concerns, or comments about your landscape, house plants, plant material, design wise, trying to give some thoughts to something, uh, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. By the way, thanks for having me on your show. And we can discuss the caring for, the ups and downs and all around of annuals, bulbs, edibles, ground covers, houseplants, lawns, perennials, roses, shrubs, vines, trees, and water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offer for you to consider. Across the big board, that's Drew. He answers the phone. He'll need uh, just your first name. He'll put you up on the call screener computers, and we'll go from there. During the week, I do landscape consulting. I don't do any kind of uh, formal designs anymore, but uh, it's because I'm just too old. But anyway, you can go to my website, www.mikemillerdesigns.com. On the homepage, you're going to see my email address, which is mmillerdesigns22 at gmail.com, and my phone number as well, where you can contact me, and I'll come to your home and do a walk-and-talk. And during the walk-and-talk, I share 40-plus years of experience as it relates to your home's landscape design, your plants, and care and maintenance as well. Tip of the trials, a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me and is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Tip of the trial goes out to the St. Louis Water Company. St. Louis Water Company, we had a water main break on the street right across from us, or in the street, it was right across from us. Now, Tracy, they do make a lot of noise because they got to get down into where the hole you know, dig a hole, get down to where the water line is and everything else. But they did a really good job, and they were, you know, I mean, they did as much as they could possibly do as far as being, let's say, logical about how they're doing it. It's almost finished now. They've got it all tamped down, and the uh, last thing that needs to be done is the new concrete poured onto it. But, uh, I mean, it was quite a bit of water coming up out of the ground for a couple of days, and I don't know if... I guess I should have called. I waited for somebody else to do the call. And I thought it was just kind of bubbling up from like four different things. And this was a spot that had been repaired 
in a recent, you know, I don't know exactly how long ago, but it was our streets in that particular area are asphalt. But you can tell where they've done some major repair because the repair patchwork is always in concrete. And so this spot had been you know, problematic in the past. So hopefully the water company has it all together. So 314-436-7900, 1-800-925-1120. Again, St. Louis Water Company and the refuse as well. But uh, it was the water people that came out and took care of this water main break. So greatly appreciated it. Let's go ahead and take a call or two. And let's, where should we go first? We're going to Ville. Hi, Ville. How are you? Okay. I have a famous uh, peony question or piney or whatever you want to call it. Uh-huh. I thought I had redug all my all mine, but I left one that I got marked with a rock and a bucket over it. Can I replant it this spring, or should I let it go through the cycle? Well, you can. Next fall. Yeah, if you're going to do it, get out there before you start to see the you know the foliage, you know, breaking the surface of the ground. You can do it, okay. water it the night before, and then dig it up and uh, have the new location ready to go. And uh, just realize that uh, you're probably better off to dig it up out of the ground, leave it sit on top of the ground for a day or two, because when you first dig it up. You probably know since you said you've already uh, dug up some other ones. Yeah. The root system is really brittle, and uh, you don't want to break it, you know, do any kind of real breakage of the root system. Why it's real brittle when you first pull it out, I don't know, but after it sits above the ground for a day or so, then it's, you know, it gets a little more supple, and it's much easier to put in a new location. And then make so sure. I should, do it. I should do it in March or April, then? You could, I would do it prior to that. Okay. So that way, by then, you're already starting to see the foliage break. And uh, when that starts happening, to relocate them can kind of set them back. It won't necessarily kill them, but it can just kind of make them, like, not feel so good. How, how, how come they're so expensive in the seed catalogs? Good Lord. <laughs> well, it's, it's pretty extensive. You know, I mean, even from divisions, it takes a while to get something large enough that's going to be, let's say, sellable. So, in other words, you don't see any peonies in like a four or six inch pot. You usually see them in a two or three gallon pot, and that's because okay. of you know extensive root system and everything else. And it takes several years to get them to be that large to be able to be acceptable. And the reason why there's not smaller ones is because people just don't have that patience to wait to finally see the flowers. I guess I got more patience than they give me credit for. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, and you have a happy new year, and keep your good advice coming our way. Great. Greatly appreciate it. And uh, let's go ahead and take a break. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's head over to Dorn's. Hi, Dorn. Hello, Dorn. Are you there? Doris? Oh, sorry, Doris. <laughs> okay. I just wanted to let you know that the spring flowers are up. 
my tulips are up about two inches. Which wow. Means I, which means I have to get wire around them before the deer do. <laughs> but the, the daffodils are just starting to come up, and the crocuses, and even the uh, surprise lilies. Oh, my goodness gracious. So that's, uh, are these on the south-facing, you know, part of your yard or something? It's on all different sizes. The tulips are on the east side, and they're under a bunch of leaves. And the surprise lilies are on the west side, I guess. And the daffodils are on the east. Gee whiz. That's a little bit surprising for this early because, I mean, it has been off and on warm, but uh, I was just going to talk about if you start to see the emerging foliage on these spring flowering bulbs, you can go ahead and do some uh, light fertilizing with that to kind of give them some a little bit of boost for hopefully having another year of flowering with them. Some of the you know, spring flowers, I don't know if you've had uh, our spring flowering bulbs, if you've had these bulbs for several years or if they're brand new. Oh, no, they're old. Oh, so, yeah. Because so, the older varieties seem to be tougher hybrids than some of the newer ones. Uh, recently plant, uh, purchased ones uh, with the daffodils will still give you a couple years, but with the tulips, one or two years is going to be the most. So it yeah, sounds like you... I've had these probably oh, seven or eight years, I guess. Wow, sounds great. So you've done a good job with them. If I can keep the deer off them. <laughs> That's very true. And they are going to be a lot, you know, the females are you know, going to be having babies really soon. And then they're going to be, you know, not oh, yeah. necessarily with the babies, but there's going to be a lot more of the deer coming up close and personal with the the plant material, looking for food to keep themselves healthy. Right. Well, great. Well, thanks, Doran. Or Doris. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Right. My fault. <laughs> and now let's go to Diane's. Hi, Diane. Hi. Hi. I, we just finished having our suburban acreage forestry mulched and I and a shout out to No Limits Land Management Josh was great but what do we do now I mean how do we manage it now as far as your mulch well as far as the, the land that we gave back I mean the honeysuckle and the kutsu and the dead trees they're all gone and now I have open fields. Well, I don't want that stuff to grow back. What do I do now? Well, probably what I would do is just be patient for a, one full season and one full year and see what, you know, what happens as a result of having all this stuff removed. So I'm assuming it was removed root system-wise, and you know, the dead trees obviously it wouldn't matter, but... Still, the root systems are going to have an impact on anything that you would you know, want to install. But I'd wait for a year and just see how everything looks and just in general, the, the plant material that still remains, and uh, kind of then make a decision after that. And then, you know, because as we head into this time of year, spring is not the most ideal time to plant if you want to do some installation of let's say, more decorative-type dogwoods or witch hazel or crab apples or whatever it happens to be, or some you know shade trees, be it uh, maples or whatever, and uh, just kind of 
be, just be patient because you've spent a lot of time and energy to get it to this point. And then that way you can make a better decision on what you want to do with it. Okay. Okay, good. Yeah, but just watch it and deal with yeah, if you, as it comes back. Right, exactly. Yeah. So hopefully they pulled the honeysuckle up and got you know, got rid of the root system. Yeah. If they didn't, you want to get it under control again. If you have to use an herbicide like a weed or a woody plant killer, that type thing, so to kind of get that uh, back to ground zero. Okay. Okay, great. Well, this, this was just, an, I think I gained an acre of ground. Whoa. After he cleared, it, it's called forestry mulching, and uh, Josh Billings was great, and he just cleared so much of that unsightly stuff out of there. Right. And then as you, during the course of this year, as you know, there are certain things that you have interest in. It goes back to the, you know, me talking about making sure that when you do installation that you're not going to get an instant impact and you understand that maybe as far as the size-wise and the plant material you buy and everything else, just watch for, you know, how big these things are going to get from a mature standpoint. Now, obviously, with shade trees or something like that, it's going to be multiple years before it starts, you know, causing problems. But uh, still, I mean, planning, you know, for the future as well as planning for today is kind of how you orchestrate, a, you know, a really good landscape installation and slash design. Great. All right. Well, thank you so much for your help. Sure. My pleasure. Now let's head over to uh, Jay's yard. Hi, Jay. Hey, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. We have a long paver driveway with a persistent weed problem. We've had uh, professionals come in and, and put barometric sand in, and that was pretty expensive. We've tried herbicides, and then finally we've resorted to torching it with a propane torch. Any advice <laughs> on keeping the weeds out of the uh, out of the pavers? There, I mean, there's, you've done everything that you probably can do. There's not too much else to do. Now, if you knew what type of weed it is, I mean, you might even try, you know, to put a, a pre-emergent down to see if that would help as opposed to a you know, post-emergent. If these are annual weeds that are coming up, then that would certainly help. I mean, probably uh, that would be the only thing that you haven't done that might help you a little bit. Okay. And that pre-emergent is spring or winter? Or uh, what time? They, well, one is, you know, in the springtime when the forsythia is in bloom. And then there's another application for in uh, August. So there's two different kinds of annual weeds that these kill. And also these will kill, a pre-emergent kills not just the annual weed seeds, but it will kill perennial weed seeds. So if some of your troubles are perennials, that the seeds have, you know, blown in or come in on the bottom of uh, your shoes or on the bottom of your car tires or whatever it happens to be, then you could, you know, that's what you could really do. Okay, we'll check it out. Thanks a lot. Great show. Sure. My pleasure. 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Zach just hung up. Uh, he was going to be next. So if you want to call us back, you can certainly do that. Um with a deer, you know, deer circumstance, if you live in a neighborhood where you know there's going to be deer problems, like the lady said when, you know, she kind of cringes a little bit when she starts to see her spring flowering bulbs foliage emerge because she knows the deer are going to be coming in real soon. 
And deer, uh, they have a really pretty good memory. So if there's a place that they have historically gone and there's been stuff to eat, they will return. There's no getting around it. Some of the plant material that uh, you know, the deer kind of stay away from as far as this, there's not going to be too many bulbs, but there are some like chorus, allium, crocus, you know, glory of snow, snowdrops, uh, hyacinths, grape hyacinths, uh, the Irish reticulata, and daffodils. You know, they really don't like those particular plants, but if it's a severe winter, guess what? They're going to eat anything they can find that's green. So that's what it's all about. Let's see. Why don't we head over to Ron's yard before we take a break? Hi, Ron. Hi. Hi. Um, I was I was wanting to uh, take and uh, transplant some uh, maple trees. What is the best time of the year to do that? Uh, with the maples, with really anything, it's always better to plant or transplant, you know, in the fall. So, so the when, reason for... The, when the leaves fall off or before they fall off? Well, just as the weather starts changing, you know, they you know, if they start coloring up and things like that, then go ahead and do that. But uh, when the, you know, sort of the temperatures head towards the fall type temperatures. And the reason for that is... The air temperature is going to be cooler, but the ground temperature is still warm. So transplanting it in the fall is why it's to the advantage. You can certainly do it in the springtime. It's just moving, you know, digging up or installing new plant material in the spring. The ground is cold because we're coming out of winter. And then the root system to get established is going to have a more a little bit more difficult time. It's just a little bit more concerning where in the wintertime, you know, or in the fall, the ground is warm. That triggers root growth, helps the plants get acclimated a little bit sooner. And there's, you know, potential for you to go, well, what about winter? But the plants are already asleep, and they've got the root systems at least, you know, started to be established. So you could do it really anytime. Fall is the best, but uh, you can do it in the springtime. There's not so a problem. If you was going to do it in the spring, what month would you do it in? I'd probably do it before the buds open up as far as showing the leaves. So like late February, you think? Yeah, right. February, you know, like Valentine's Day, all the way up through mid-March, because usually by mid-March, the buds start opening up. Right, right. Okay, sir, thank you. All right, great. Thank you. Right. 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Got phone lines open. Back after these messages. Yes, folks, many of us have received or purchased ourselves poinsettias. And technically, it is only a Christmas. No, 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 no. It's regular house plant. So basically, after the holiday season is over, you just treat it like a, you know, a regular type house plant. So until we you know, get a little bit later into the year, like in September or so, you can just grow it like a house plant, put it in front of a nice, bright, sunny window. Just watch the potting mix on the inside of the pot and see that uh, once it starts shrinking away and lift the pot at that same time when it starts shrinking away so you can see how much the pot weighs. That way, in the future, you don't have to necessarily watch for the inside of the potting mix, inside of the pot, the potting mix shrinking. You can just go by the lifting the, the pot and the weight, and then you know, water it really well, and then just don't water it again until that starts uh, 
shrinking away or until you can tell by the weight of it. As uh, The reason why I'm saying weight is because we, Tracy and I both like the rosemary trees. So in other words, rosemary plant has been pruned into the shape of a tree. And uh, that's the only, you know, one of the house, one of the seasonal things that I get, have every year. And uh, I grow them until summertime or until the weather starts warming up. And then I stick it out in the landscape someplace and just kind of leave it out there. And if they survive, that's fine. If they don't, uh, I, that's fine as well. So let's head over to Lynette's yard. Hi, Lynette. New Year. Hello. Mike. Yes. Hi. Um, I have some English ivy that I really need to uh, get it removed away. It's kind of by the uh, foundation of the house. And I'm wondering if this is a good time to try to pull that up. Yeah, I mean, as long as you don't, you know, you're not worried about uh, killing it because that's what you're going to be trying to do. Certainly get out there. You know, you can... uh, I mean, pulling it up is not going to be all that easy, but just be patient and uh, you'll work through it that way. Okay. All right. I was wondering also, um, would it help um, as far as pulling it up to spray it with something first and then, you know, try it a week later or so? Or do you think that would help at all? This time of year, the herbicides are going to be translocated so slowly I don't think I'd, you know, fool with it that all that much. I'd get out there and pull up as much as you possibly can and then watch and see where you're going to start to see some more sprigs as the weather warms up. And then that you could certainly go after with uh, with an herbicide. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. Just realize that it's, you know, I don't know how long, how well it's been established or anything else, but uh, it's going to be a lot of work. and. I mean, that's this is a good time of year to do it. Okay. Then I'll get on it. All Thank right. you. All right. Thank you, Lynette. Have a good day. Yep. You too. And going back to the poinsettias, again, they're just a, more or less a tropical house plant, so they just they need light. And what, you know, to get those leaves, to, to, you know, the bracts are really not leaves, but uh, to get the bracts to change colors back to red in the future then we're going to talk about that a little bit later in the year, but not too much you can do right now. Just enjoy them for what they, you know, what they have. And let's go over to Kyle's yard. Hi, Kyle. Hi, Mike. Hi. I have some uh, crepe myrtles in my front, and um, they are about, they'll be three years old this June, or they would have been planted for three years this June. I have not ever pruned them. So kind of was wondering what I should do this, uh, if I should prune them this spring, uh, they're kind of tall and leggy. I'd rather they, they fill out a little more. So what do you think? Uh, basically anything that, uh, you know, is summer blooming, uh, you're better off. You can go ahead and prune it before the new growth begins. But unfortunately, what you might do is uh, uh, might kind of disrupt the flowering. But uh, you could you sh- could encourage you know, some new, tw- you know, twig growth and things like that. Uh, but just get you get the pruning done as soon as you possibly can because the summer blooming ones like crepe myrtle, they don't set their flower buds until later on in the season. 
But uh, so that's why you want to get them pruned before there's any kind of growth on them at all. And if, oh. sometimes that you know that kind of messes them up. But for the most part, with summer bloomers, prune in the springtime, late winter before any kind of growth is showing at all. Okay, so I could do it now. Yes. Okay. And how far back should I cut them? There, I mean, there's some that are like six feet tall, some of the branches. Well, I would say just be cautious. Don't prune them back too, you know, too heavy or too far. I would say one-third would be the maximum, 20%, or a third would be the maximum I'd prune off. Of each, of each stalk or stem or whatever? Right, exactly. Yeah. Okay, great. Thank you. Yep. And another thing you can do, too, is uh, just... Yeah, if you still got the tags on them, it has the individual varieties, and check the variety type that you have because some of them are going to be more bushy type, you know, hybrids than others, and maybe you've got the ones that are not so, uh, let's say, bushy. So the pruning will help some, but it's not necessarily going to guarantee that they're going to be nice and full. Gotcha. All right. Okay. Thank you. Sure. Bye. And now let's go over to Bill's yard. Hi, Bill. Oh, hi, Mike. Hi. Hey, I, I wanted to know uh, how early can I start planting some grass seed? Ah, uh, <laughs> you could do. Do you have the grass seed right now? Uh, no, I don't. I have to get it. Okay, so if you do it too soon, what could happen is it could be warm and it could germinate, but then we could have a cold snap, and newly germinated seed can have a difficult time if it gets too cold. But I would say you know, wait for uh, probably until. Mid-February, that's probably when I'd put the grass seed down. Now, you're talking about cool season like bluegrass or fescue or something along that line, correct? Uh, yes. And what you can do now, though, is what you can do is you can have the area have it core aerated and put some compost down and then put the seed down, you know, at the, the sort of the time that I talked about. Okay. I, I remember uh, here somewhere where they said when you get that last light snow, put some grass seed on that and let it kind of melt in the ground with the snow. Is there anything to that? Not really. I mean, what you're trying, what you're doing is you're just getting in the seed down in close contact with the ground. But uh, you can wait for that if you want. There may not be enough snow to actually send it down off. The, I'm assuming you have an existing lawn in this space. Or right. you can just water, you know, water it after you put the seed down. Okay, what was that uh, latest again? What was that last month you said? I'm sorry, I didn't write that down. Yeah, it's probably, I would say, the last time you could do it. I don't like to do any kind of seeding in May. That's almost getting too late. And then the, when the seed germinates, it's going to be the heat of the summertime. So sometime between, let's say, mid-April uh, would be, uh, well, maybe even mid-March. It's going to be weather-dependent. So to put the seed down too soon is problematic from the standpoint that the ground is cold and it might not trigger the growth as you know as far as the germination and everything else. So that's why you want to wait till the ground warms up a little bit. If you want to head to your favorite garden center and spend about $10 and get a soil thermometer, then watch, you know, put the soil thermometer, follow the instructions on it, and when you start to see the ground temperature 55 degrees 3 or 4 days in a row, then that's the time to be putting the seed down. Appreciate much. Sure. My pleasure. All right, thanks. Yep. And now let's go over to Jim's yard. Hi, Jim. 
Uh, yes. I'm having a new yard put in the front and um, uh, new grass put in the front. It's fescue. And someone told me the best thing to put on it is monorganite. What's your thoughts on that? Well, monorganite is an organic fertilizer. There's nothing, you know, there's no problem with that. Personally, that's fine. You know, I like to, t- you know, make sure that you get the area, whoever's doing the, you know, the work for you, chlorinates the area first, too. And that way, that's going to break up the uh, sort of the uh, rough qualities of, cl- you know, the normal type soils. And uh, well, and, I'm gonna I'm gonna um, have about two inches taken out and two inches of compost brought in and tilled in, then okay. laid aside. Whoa! So you're doing you're doing sod, not seed. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, you're doing everything just right then. Okay, then I'm an organite just fine. Yeah, that's fine. It's a low analysis type fertilizer, basically what it is. Oh, okay. All right. Thanks. Sure. Mike Miller, KMWash Garden Hotline. We have phone lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Just remember that if you put any de-icers down, and this is any chemical, no matter how earth-friendly that chemical happens to be, it's recommended that you spread gypsum over the areas where this uh, de-icer, when whatever it was melting, has run off into. Because uh, what the gypsum does, it neutralizes uh, this sort of dehydration factor and potential plant damage. So whether it's to your lawn or to perennials or to ground covers or anything else, spreading gypsum, you know, as when we kind of, you know, all the de-icers have been put down and you start to see some active growth, that was probably something I'd recommend. Let's head over to Donna's yard now. Hi, Donna. Um, I'm a novice with um, irises. We moved into a house and it was along the east wall of the house. It gets all the morning sun. There's a a whole row of irises. I've cleaned them out, you know, when the dead stalks come down and everything. But now my question is, um, I've noticed that in the neighborhood, some people cut them off. Are they supposed to be cut off? And then the next question I have, um, they seem to be kind of growing over each other somewhat. So can they be cleared out and can they be transplanted? And when would you do that? How do you care for them is what I need. Ba- well, basically, I would say just leave them alone as they are. And that way, for this first full season, you know, watch the foliage, watch, see what happens, see if they do flower. Because some of the, let's say, clumps of the iris, the, the classic flags, uh, as they age, they lose the ability to flower, and then you're only going to get the foliage. So find out which ones, see if they're all healthy flowering-wise and everything else, and then kind of go from that standpoint. As far as what you can do or what you need to do, uh, you know, for, let's say, normal care, you can cut them down if you like because the foliage is going to be damaged anyway by the wintertime, and then the new growth, you know, the new foliage growth should occur anyway. But the main thing to do, I would say, for the first year, watch out and see and make sure that the ones that you, the clumps or clusters that you want to save, that you mark or whatever, that, that these are ones that are still flowering and maybe they're all still flowering. 
But as I said, sometimes when they age, they start losing the ability to do any kind of flowering. Okay, so if they're old and they don't flower or there's very little of it, then pretty much you just have to dig that out and start over? Pretty much, yes. Because there's nothing you can do. You can't divide them. You can't fertilize them. You can do nothing that's going to encourage, you know, sort of, uh, let's say, flowering ability if they've already kind of lost that quality. Okay. And if they, um, when I discover how tall they get or anything, so cutting them back doesn't make, like, um, the stalks any shorter that they, if the weight of them, they won't fall over. Or it does, it's just a, what type they are, about how tall they get. Exactly. Okay. That's what I need. You're great. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, I don't say, I don't think I'm great, but anyway. Let's head over to Donald's yard. Hi, Donald. Yeah, I know, Mike. Question. I would like to plant about three or four Japanese maples out in front of the house. And uh, I want to know... Uh, is there a different, there are different, are there different varieties of Japanese maple, or are they about the same? No, there's extreme different varieties of Japanese maple. So some of them can get uh, up to 15 feet high. Some of the ones that have the more dissected leaves, they grow like an umbrella. And whatever height you buy them at, they all, they stay pretty much that height and never grow, they only grow wider. So there's definitely, you know, you can either check it out on the Internet or wait or go to your favorite garden center and talk to them about the varieties. But some of them are ones that are going to come out in the springtime red, and they're going to stay red all growing season. Some will come out red and then, you know, or come out green and then not change to a red color until the fall. So, no, there's a great variety and difference in the Japanese maples. Okay. Uh, but what, what is the average uh, time of growth for those? But how long does it take for those to grow up? As far, well, it just depends upon, you know, if they're you know, planted properly, whenever whatever size is bought, the hole should be dug uh, three times the diameter of the root ball, only about 80% is deep. The soil... Don't add fertilizer to the soil, but just, you know, add some organic matter to the soil where they're being planted. And uh, that's, uh, it's just going to take, you know, it depends upon the growing circumstance. If there's existing trees, make sure you don't put them too close to any kind of, you know, let's say concrete work, foundation, sidewalks or things like that, because they're all going to overgrow those particular situations. One last question. When I moved in the house 30 years ago, a guy was planting a tree, and he had, had tied so that he had to uh, tie against the light pole. I don't know what that was for, like he used to hold, hold the tree up or something. <laughs> so, well, I, I don't quite understand your question there, but uh, a 30-year-old tree, you're just saying it's gotten too big? No, I'm not saying it. I was just wondering why he had tied against the light post. He oh. had it planted, but it was going where he had tied against the light post. Oh, I have no idea. That's crazy. Planting anything next to a light post is not something you should be doing. Okay. Okay. Thank you a lot. Sure. Thank you. And Debbie, how are you today? 
afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, my question is about a wisteria I have. I planted her from a four-inch pot and about six years ago. She has been beautifully blooming for me since she was three years old, probably about six, seven feet tall now, on a trellis and halfway on the trellis growing wonderfully. Um, I'm interested when I prune her back because she does get pretty wild in, in her limbs and uh, so that I don't hurt the blooms for the next year. Um, you know, basically... With you know, with wisteria, wisteria is when is it going to bloom? Is it going to bloom in May? Is that when yours blooms? Yes, it blooms in May. Right. The best thing because that would be considered a spring bloomer is to wait until after it finishes flowering and then prune it at that time. Oh, okay, I see. Any other info on wisterias you can give me? Uh, other than you know, they're just wild and crazy. That's about it. I yeah, mean, she's beautiful. She blooms well. Her flowering is. Uh, the smell was wonderful, and I always wanted one, and I didn't think it would grow as well as it did, but it has. So I, I'm really pleased with her. So, okay, well, thank you for your, your info. Sure, my pleasure. And, okay, Jim, you. Can, can you do it kind of quick? Yes, sir, I can. Two months ago, I had three trees removed and had the grounds, stumps ground out and the roots. And I had the chips left, and I want to clean them out. I want to go to St. Louis Compost and see if they have a combination of compost and soil that I can put back down. Would you recommend seed or sod and when to do it? Uh, basically, it's going to be a really rough spot, even if you do you know, add the you know, St. Louis composting materials and everything else because of just it's the roots of the trees are still going to be viable. They're still going to be aggressive. And they're still going to be problematic. You're not going to get all the chips out of there, and that's going to cause dehydration of seed or sod. So, you know, you could try either one, but uh, success is going to be somewhat limited, to be honest. Hey, thank you for your uh, military service, and thank you for your service you provide every week. Sure, my pleasure. Yeah, thank four, you, sir. Yep. Bye. Four years in the Air Force. Wow. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. See you next week. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. US Q3 2023. We all agree that reducing carbon emissions is a good thing. And once again, Toyota is leading the way. We hear a lot about fully electric vehicles and Toyota has them with more on the way. But we also know a BEV is not for everyone. Whether it's because of cost, range, or concern about finding a charging station when you need it. Plus, the raw materials used to manufacture batteries are limited. Enter Beyond Zero, Toyota's vision for a carbon-neutral future. In vehicles and in manufacturing plants, too, in the years ahead. The materials used to make just one long-range battery for an EV could be used to make batteries for six plug-in hybrids or 90 gas-electric hybrids. That's why Toyota's position today is Electrified Diversified, empowering you to choose how to reduce your own carbon footprint with a vehicle that's right for you. A hybrid, plug-in hybrid, or battery EV. So shop, learn more, and get details at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Toyota, let's go places. 
Searching for a parenting podcast you'll actually want to listen to? One that covers everything from how to deal with picky eating, how to grieve a pregnancy loss, and how to not hate your partner after having kids? Well, your new favorite podcast, After Bedtime with Big Little Feelings, is here. Hosted by two BFFs, this is a no-shame parenting podcast. Listen to and follow After Bedtime with Big Little Feelings on the free Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts.